On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls. Imagine you have an idea for a movie after writing and directing a couple of shorts. That's what happened to Bruno Bailey Bond. She first took the idea of the video nasties hysteria that plagued Britain in the 1980s, and then she mixed that setting and time period with the idea of ambiguous loss, or when someone loses a loved one but is unable to find closure because they don't know what happened to them. Prano finished her film, and then the pandemic happened. While most directors celebrate their feature-length debut with a Q&A and maybe some partying, Prano celebrated the release of her film Asleep Halfway Across the World. However, the film became a success despite this, earning nine British Independent Film Award nominations and Prano herself also earning Screen Fright Fest's Rising Star Award. If you haven't guessed already, we are taking on 2021 Censored this week. So sit back and relax, but don't go answering any weird phone calls. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. I'm Katie. Welcome to the Grand House Girls Podcast. Welcome. We are excited to have you. So come on and sit down and have a good time. So (laughs) hi, Katie. Are you doing okay? I am doing pretty good. You know, COVID surging again. We're recording this in late January. And um, that's been interesting. But um, as far as I know, I'm happy and healthy. I don't have COVID quite knock on wood so uh that's good and i'm trying to catch up on uh the oscar potential nominees but i fell a little short this weekend although you and i did watch one yes um how are you doing i i'm good um nothing too crazy uh i too just kind of been laying low watching movies you know when we have these spikes in um COVID positive cases, I tend to lay low and just do chores around the house. I had a um, yeah. pretty productive weekend. I I did the only thing I had to get out and do, which was get my headlight fixed in my car. So, um, yay, adulting. Nice. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag adulting. Yes. So. Oh, goodness. Well, we did have some notes from last week, um, which was Nora the Curse. Um, luckily, our lovely editor, Ryan, uh, or N.R. Moody, as he's professionally known, um, he looked up a couple things for us. Um, one, that movie One Piece that we were referring to has nothing to do with the anime, although they did come out in the same year, or they started in the same year. Um, it's actually just a collection of shorts, which I was like, okay, like short films, which I was like, okay, cool. 
Yeah, so um, we were discussing a little bit of the plot of the curse, and one of the things I brought up was that when they were talking um, to Mr. Horry, it they kept bleeping out the word, like, psycho or crazy. Um, and Ryan looked it up for us, and yeah. it turns out the word they were using is actually a, a very bad negative word for mentally handicapped people in Japan. Um, and so that was the reason they were bleeping it out. So it's a very expensive word. Yeah, basically the hard R word in English. But yeah, so that that's our housekeeping. Did you watch? I know uh, we watched something together. Um, we did. We watched The Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. By Joel Cohen. Yeah. Starring Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, and a lot of very, um, an interesting cast. They were both unknown people and people that I know very well. Um, the guy that played Dudley Dursley was in it and he played Malcolm. I thought that was interesting. And then, like, I didn't know the lady that played Lady Macduff, which was my part when we did Macbeth in college, um, but she was very good. Um, but Macduff was Corey Hawkins from Straight Outta Compton, and he was Benny in In the Heights. Yes. And I'm trying to think if there was, and there were a bunch of like, like uh, Ralph, what is his name? Uh, Eason? Eason? Not Ralph Fiennes. Uh, Innes? Innes. 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 Yeah. Innes. I-N-E-S, yeah, from, uh, he was in Game of Thrones, but he did, was the dad in the bitch. Yeah. Lots of interesting people, but honestly, kind the, of a basic movie. Oh, I have to say. Although it looks Ka- beautiful. Catherine Hunter as the witches stole the show. She was, I think she oh, was our yes, favorite. Oh, yes, thank you for knowing her name. Yeah, so she, she was, was my favorite. And Denzel yeah. Washington. Yes, yeah, so, uh. Catherine Hunter uh, played all three of the witches, and there is something utterworldly about her voice, first off. You can see why she draws Macbeth in when she talks, but then it's also her movements are so amazing. Like, I feel like she has to be a classically trained actor. Contortion, like. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. She had some contortion stuff. Denzel Washington and the witches were my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. I think they had the strongest performances, although no one was bad. Everyone was very, very good. But in my opinion, the set was the most interesting mm-hmm. part. Like they they did this cool thing with uh, Britt pointing out the cauldron where it was like the entire room filled yeah. with water, which was really cool. And like they basically used sound stages, so it was like a a like grand version of a stage production of Macbeth. And the the that was really beautiful, especially because it was black and white. Mm-hmm. So like it it looked like um. The castle setting especially looked like that um, Escher painting with the stairs, which I can never remember what the painting's name is, yeah. but um, Escher's stair painting, it kind of looked like that. So it was very interesting looking, but it wasn't. And like, of course, we watched it with Taylor. Taylor hated it because he doesn't like Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, Brittany and I both having theater degrees like Shakespeare. So, um, and there's bad Shakespeare and good Shakespeare, but I generally like Macbeth, probably because it was my first Shakespeare show that I was in. But, you know, it's a good show. It's an interesting show. I don't think it was the most interesting version of Macbeth I've seen. I kind of wanted them to do something different, but it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah. 
But I think if you've seen Macbeth before, it's not really going to, like, shock you. Yeah, and I think also if you... And it's, it's going to be kind of basic. Yeah, if you like Macbeth, you're going to like this movie because you already know the story of Macbeth. But if you don't like Macbeth, then you're not going to like this movie. They don't really do anything too different. I do like the staging because there's also the floating dagger yes. scene. And it's like... The way they stage it is oh, that you yeah, see that cool. you see the dagger floating and Macbeth walking towards it. He has that great like monologue about mm-hmm. the dagger, and then when he gets closer, you see the handle to the door is actually shaped like a dagger. Is the dagger? Yeah. So it's they did. It's it. like an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. They had some interesting staging uh, ideas, and the acting was pretty good. But yeah, I wouldn't say I would agree with you that it, I don't know what the best adaptation of Macbeth I've seen is, but I wouldn't say it's the best. It's just it's different. They made some bold choices yeah. that I like. They made some bold choices. So. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen another version of Macbeth, honestly, other than the one we did in college, which we had a steampunk theme. Mm-hmm. And, like, the costumes were awesome. And we had a lot of, of, like, stage fighting, a lot of sword fights and stuff. So I think it was a pretty exciting show. Also, it was college, so we were trying to make it more exciting. And also, you know, I'm a little biased because my sister was Lady Macbeth, and uh, our friend Tyree was Macbeth, and obviously all of our friends were in it. Um, So, of course, like, I'm going to like that one better. But also, like, we had, like, actual gasps. I know my death scene. It wasn't my death that made people gasp. People didn't care. I liked my death scene because I got drugged by my hair. And stabbed with a real knife, which was really cool. I mean, obviously not really stabbed, but we did use real knives, which was fun. Um, <laughs> it was fun! Yeah. Our friend Jeremiah, if Jeremiah, if you're listening, uh, he got to stab me. And, um, but the person who, our friend Logan, played my son, and he had had a injury, um, and so we weren't sure if he was going to be healed, so uh, we put him in a wheelchair just to make sure if he wasn't fully healed by the time the production started that he could still be in the show because we really like he was the person for that role and um he didn't end up needing it but we kept him in it and so it was very very impactful when he got murdered and his throat was slit in front of like they they thrust the stage so it was like kind of in the middle of the audience and they slit his throat and then the lights went out and everyone went, <gasps> like, it was the best thing ever. <laughs> like, for me, like, as as a performer, like, it's awesome. Like, I was already dead at that point. So I was just, like, passed out on the stage in the blackout. And it was, like, the best thing ever. Logan, if you're listening, you are still my baby boy. I love you. Um, but he was great. And it was, I, I like the Lady Macduff scene. Obviously, I was in it. But it's, it's like, a nice little, like, um, like, respite. Mm-hmm. From the terror that is the tragedy of Macbeth, because it's yeah. a pretty depressing play. But it's like this cute little scene between a mother and a son, and and I like this movie. Like did it really well too. Like it was like very like bright and cheerful, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, people are gonna murder you. And then they threw the kid down some like down. What do you call it? like the lobby, like the yeah. foyer, like from upstairs, the stairwell. So that was terrifying. I was they did it well. Yeah, and like there was smoke, so you didn't actually see the kid like die but um I, I it's a the staging is great i think Brittany says this, the staging was great the sets were great the look of everybody was great it was just kind of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't like different and i kind of like 
Shakespeare movies that are based on Shakespeare plays that maybe don't follow the scripts exactly. Like, um, you know, uh, Ten Things I Hate About You is an adaptation yeah. of Shakespeare. Um, this isn't Shakespeare, but uh, Bridget Jones's Diary, which is a comedy, but I love it, is based on Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. You know, I like things that are adaptations, but they're not ten, exactly the same. Ten Things I Hate About You is Tammy of the Shrew, and um, she, yes. she's the man is Twelfth Night. Is that right? It's either Twelfth Night or... Is it Twelfth Night? Is it Twelfth Night? <laughs> oh, Ryan's nodding yes. Okay, I was about to say, that was pulled from I the, think re- you're right. the recesses of my head, so... Although, okay, I will say, I like Kenneth Branagh's Much mm-hmm. Ado About Nothing. It's a very vibrant show, which Denzel Washington is also in. Yeah. Um, he's very good at Shakespeare. Um, he really interprets it well. And I think, Brittany, you said this when we were watching it, but Frances McDormand was kind of just Frances McDormand. Yeah, like, I love her. She's very talented, but she definitely was herself. Yeah. There was, like, a few, like, really great scenes, but I I will admit, mm-hmm. I will admit, because I am very tough on Lady Macbeth, because it's kind of like, like you said, <laughs> you, it's kind of like a role It's a that role you like a lot. Every actress would love to be Lady Macbeth, because she's such a great character. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm always going to be a little bit hard. But you think Frances McDormand, of all people, yeah. would bring her A-game. Like, she's fucking Frances McDormand, so. Yeah. She kind of seemed like she was sleeping through it, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Not like it was bad. It just, I've seen her try so much harder. And I felt that about Nomadland, too. I was just kind of like, okay, it's Frances McDormand. And I mean, yeah. again, she's great. But I didn't think she did anything new or exciting in that role. Um, I loved her in Nomadland. And I love Land. her. I don't think she's a bad actress. But I think Fern, what? I, I loved her in Nomadland, but I think Fern is very close to her as a person. So I think she was, I think it was easy to transition yeah. to Fern because it was a lot like playing a part of her is how I, how I personally felt with Nomadland. Yeah. So. And I like the transformative roles mm-hmm. where it's like a little bit of truth, a lot of imagination i guess so but i love francis mcdormand don't don't get me wrong she's yeah, amazing she is and she is such a powerhouse i will never ever forget fargo fargo is oh, yeah. one of the best movies um this was also the first cohen movie that only had joel and i can't remember the other cohen's first name ethan the other cohen is it ethan oh you're right i think it's ethan i think you're right um which is very similar to The Matrix Reloaded, which was only Lana Wachowski. And I can't remember the other Wachowski's first name. It's terrible. Um, I honestly, I was trying to remember it like days ago. And I was like, the other Wachowski. The other you one. know her. You love her. The other Wachowski. Yes. Um, Which I think Joel's always had this as a bee in his bonnet. I think... I think it's been buzzing around in his head for several years that he wanted to do Macbeth. Um, and it's good. I just don't, I would not want it to win Best Picture because I don't think it's very I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Like, I, I would literally probably be dropping to the ground, fainting if it won. Like, not in a side <laughs> Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, um, I will tell you what else I've watched real quick. So I did watch a movie. Oh, uh, yeah. But I am going to leave it off for now, I'm not going to tell you guys what it is because it's going to be my next pick in the next couple of weeks. So I do want to say mm. that for you guys. Um, 
I actually watched what I think is going to possibly be Germans. Um, I know it's Germans' submission for Best Foreign Film, and I think it could take one of the five honorary spots for Best Foreign Film. Um, it's a great little movie called I'm Your Man, and it's actually on Hulu right now. Um, <gasps> yes, I saw that this coming on Hulu. I can't wait to watch it. It's Dan Stevens of The Guest and Dalton Abbey. <gasps> uh, and he speaks German perfectly. Uh, in this movie. So who knew he was so multi-talented? Um, you think it's going to be a very basic rom-com, and it's not. There's all these great ideas of assistance and loneliness and what it means to be human mm. and what companionship. And so it's just as... Isn't it? Isn't there an AI component yes, to it? Yes, yes. So, um, and this is okay. revealed very early on in the movie. So, Which like, within the first... You don't have to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, it's in the first five minutes that... Um, and if you... I, oh, okay. I didn't watch... I didn't watch the trailer, but most reviews go right into it that um, she's basically picked that they... They'd have her take surveys and everything, and they, they create her perfect partner for her. And so they have her tested out because oh. they're trying to prove this theory like, okay, can we, can people's partners be made and how does that change? Would it make people happier? So she's picked as like this test subject and they created the perfect man for her, which is Dan Stevens' character. Um, and to say more than that well, would spoil. That you could, mm-hmm. you could have a worse perfect man. It is so funny. There is- Dan Stevens is pretty perfect <laughs> he is and there's literally a, a, a line in the movie where she he's speaking german because it's a german film and she goes do you have a british accent yeah. he goes she goes do you have a british accent and he's like he's like yes because you like men who are slightly exotic but not too exotic so it's like <laughs> 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 and it's great it's uh, great i will say german's less hard to speak than other languages because I've said this before because I did take German in high school. Wait, didn't you take? Who uh, else I, took German I did in high take school? German in high school. You did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both. Oh, did. And, right, oh, Ryan did too. Like, <laughs> my God. But yeah, like it's pretty easy because it's just English without the French thrown in. So like it phonetically sounds very similar, and honestly, it's very like phonetic. So it's pretty easy to pronounce. In in my experience, in mostly singing in foreign languages german and latin's actually pretty easy too honestly it's pretty phonetic but i don't i only know church latin but i'm excited about that movie and um i'm am gonna watch the lost daughter i think this week yeah i think that's one point that's Um, what i'm aiming for too because it's probably a lot of people think it may get best uh, adapted screenplay or no original original screenplay nomination so i do want to watch that I think it's adapted i think it's adapted. is it adapted i admit you may be I right i can't remember if it's based off sure. a short story or not is it based uh, on maybe maggie gyllenhaal will get nominated for director because it's her directorial debut but oh no it was a novel first okay, okay so, so yeah it's adapted. adapted okay awesome cool and so yeah i think but I'm, you know i'm an olivia coleman stan yeah, so she's phenomenal. i will watch anything with her the father finally came on streaming so i think i'm gonna watch that at some point it's so good so depressing um i i did finish archive 81 ryan oh so you know and i was gonna Um, i liked it i was gonna bring that up last because you started i started i've only seen the first two episodes so (gasps) so yeah do you like it i like it so far i do taylor really likes it good yeah Good. I like it a lot, and it's. I didn't realize James Wan was producing it. Oh. Um. By the way, congratulations to him and Ingrid Bisu. They got a new puppy. Oh. I saw on her Instagram. 
Um, which I don't know if she listens to our podcast, but since she liked our Instagram post about Malignant, I'm just going to say congratulations, guys. Um, y'all are wonderful. Um, the only other thing I watched was the Bengals win again. Nice. It was a very close football game. Y'all, I do not watch football, but this is the first time in 31 years the Bengals have won a wild card game and then they won another playoff game. And it's been since like I was an infant. So, um, my family's from Cincinnati originally. It's a big fucking deal. And I've been watching it with my parents. It's kind of our bonding stuff is to watch the Bengals games. Um, um, but I'm just happy. I'm so happy um, for Cincinnati as a town. Um, so, if anyone's listening to Cincinnati, I love you guys. Queen City. Um, I miss Cincy. Oh, I want COVID to stop because I just want to go back to Cincy. And spend some time there because that was where I spent all of my vacations as a child. Um, anyways, that's all. Like that's what I watched. I watched uh, Archive eighty one and uh, the Bengals winning and Tragedy Macbeth, and then I kind of fell behind because I just had other stuff to do this weekend. So, was there anything else you got to watch? I Brent? did just watch one more thing. So, um, I did watch now the first three episodes of How I Met Your Father. So. Is it good? Um, it's okay. Um, there, I'm afraid there is. <laughs> uh, there is two. I think two decent twists at the end of the first episode. One that's an actual twist, and two that's just a nod to the original How I Met Your Mother series. Um, it's not great. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I can see it turning into a guilty pleasure for me, though, which happens to me with bad TV shows. Okay, so. Off topic, on topic, Kim Cattrall plays the older version of the main character in How I Met Your Father. So, it's like, so I thought that was kind of funny. Gotta love us. So, she plays Hillary Duff's character. Gotta love us some Samantha. Yeah, she plays Hillary Duff's character as, like, an older adult, which I always think is funny because Hillary Duff is already an adult, but she plays, like, the (laughs) 22-year-old's difference. So, like... But it's cute. It's cu- it's weird. it's cute. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's um. I mean, it it has my interest. Yeah. That I watched a new episode today before we logged on. So okay. Yeah. I mean, like I heard it was like in the works for a while, and I was kind of like, I don't know. I didn't like how How I Met Your Mother ended personally. You know what? I didn't know until recently. They actually filmed a pilot episode called How I Met Your Dad, and uh, Greta Gerwig was mm-hmm. the lead. Was the lead in that one. It just never went anywhere. Oh, weird. Yes, isn't that weird? But yeah, weird. they were they did that right. Weird. They did that right after the end of How I Met Your Mother. It just didn't go anywhere. So we're doing censor. We are, as you heard in our intro, and it's on Hulu right now. I do want to say that loud and clear. So it is on Hulu. I kept thinking it was on Shutter on my Amazon Prime, and I kept looking for it there. I did this twice, and it was like rent it, and I was like, no, I know it's streaming. Free. And then I was like, oh, it's on Hulu. Um, but yeah, we, we're doing censor. Brittany picked this out. This is a maybe, I think both of us have been eyeing mm-hmm. all last year. It came out in January of 2021 at the Sundance Film Festival, but it was a virtual festival because of COVID. Um, and this year's, I think, went pretty virtual too, which I looked into buying tickets, but honestly, I didn't see any movies that I was super dead set on watching that I couldn't wait to see so i was like i don't know if i want to pay like a 100 bucks to stream like five movies personally um but um it did make its debut at sundance and amid uh 
our uh, little COVID pandemic world. Um, and this movie is very interesting. Yeah. It's another uh, first time film feature director, which uh, I think we tend to like those. Kind of yeah, I think they like are sometimes accidentally. I think they're a little bit more risk taking a lot of times with their first movies, it feels like. So because we do keep getting first time directors. Like St. Maude. Yeah. So. Yeah. St. Maude was one of those where it was, which this movie parallels some St. Maude stuff. Um, not exactly. There's not the religious component, obviously, but there's a lot of like reality and fantasy blurred in this movie. Um, and I found the setting of this movie very interesting because it took place during the video nasties era mm-hmm. in England, which kind of coincided with our satanic panic in the US, which is during like the Thatcher Reagan years. Um, in the 80s where, like, people were, you know, ultra-conservative, which, you know, I know we don't get very political on this podcast. We try to keep it as open-minded as we can. But, like, yeah, like, this, you know, the 80s were kind of tough for movies because, at least in Britain, uh, they had this thing called Video Nasties, which I'm sure sounds way more cool in a British accent because, like, you say Video Nasties. In American accent, it sounds kind of childish. But basically, they were movies that were either banned in England from distribution or heavily edited. And um, a couple movies that were either banned or edited that, like, you probably know about was, like, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They did release it, but it was edited. Um, Suspiria, which we did on the podcast for our 50th episode, it was edited but distributed. Um, this one really confused me. There's this movie by Dom Dollar, which is a famously, like, B-movie, like, completely, like, not scary <laughs> film director. Um, Night Beast from Dom Dollar, which is probably his most famous. Um, uh, it was edited again. Um, Friday the 13th was edited, but then several were completely banned until the early 2000s, including Cannibal Holocaust, I Spit on Your Grave, The Evil Dead, which was released then edited, then released uncut in 2001. So that one had a back and forth. And then a movie that is heavily influenced in this movie called Don't Go in the Woods. Yeah. Which there's a reference to that in this movie. Um, but it wasn't released until 2007. A lot of the uh, video nasties, like if you if you split the list in half of all these movies released during this, area, during this era, mm-hmm. half of them were prosecuted. So like the director of Campbell Holocaust yes. was actually arrested due to obscenity and murder charges. And his cast had to appear yeah. to be like, no, this is not a snuff film. We're all alive yes. and well. Um, the only thing that doesn't age well Campbell yes. Col- Holocaust is that they do kill a turtle on screen. So there is animal cruelty in that movie which yeah but that's something that the director prano um bailey bond bailey bond bailey bond made neve the main actress right neve alger Mm -hmm. um made her watch that because i just said right sorry um she made her watch that because like she wanted her to know that like she did interview several video nasty Mm -hmm sensors for this movie and they told her like the setting was really dark they didn't have any windows and she was like oh wouldn't that be interesting if someone censoring them had like something dark inside of them and like this the video nasties like 
brought that out of them. Um, I thought it was- she made her watch Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. think it was also interesting. I don't know if you came across this, but Possession, which is something me and you have talked about as a movie we wanted to see on the, ho- on, on the podcast, it's considered like a very art house horror film. That was actually on the top of the list yeah. of the hot, the like highest critical rating video nasties. And I wouldn't consider that a video nasty, but because of the explicit scenes in it, it was considered a video nasty when it came out, which was kind yeah. of shocking to me. Which, you know, there's some that are like, like, you know, Brittany and I both love the original Suspiria. I, I think I'm a bigger fan of the remake, mm-hmm. but we both love the original. Um, Evil Dead, the first one is just awesome Mm -hmm. and um i you know i haven't actually watched i spit on your grave because it is a rape revenge movie and i do have problems watching rape on film it does trigger some stuff for me um not i'm not a victim of rape um not specifically but you know for some reason it really does not sit well with me when it's on camera unless like it's like the nightingale where it made sense I don't know. The Nightingale didn't seem exploitative at all, you know. And I spit on your grave. Was it? Was it Wes Craven? Was it Craven? Maybe grave? it was Craven, or was last? I think he made. Or was it Last House on the Left? Was Craven? Uh, oh, Last House on the Left definitely was Craven. Which I like Last House on the Left, but it is. It is very disturbing. I'm oh, not going to lie. Uh, Sark, um, Sarky did. Last House on the Sarky Left. Sarky did ni- uh, 1978's I Spit on Your Grave. So that was me okay, or Sarky. So it's a different. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's very similar to Last House mm-hmm. on the Left, where it is definitely exploitation cinema, which is not. Okay. There's good exploitation, there's bad exploitation. Um, we talk about like black exploitation like you know it gave people a voice but it was kind of over the top and campy and um there's like i said there's good and bad exploitation um obviously exploiting people is not good but in film i think there's some that really said some stuff that you couldn't say in mainstream cinema and then there's stuff that was just being exploitative for the sake of being exploitative. Um, I Last House on the Left was a treatise on the trauma of the Vietnam War and the violence that that generation was exposed to because of the Vietnam War. So, like, knowing that, watching it, it's still pretty rough, but it's, it's subtext. It's... it's elevates it a bit it's also based on the story called the virgin spring which is like a very very old story so it actually did have its roots in another story too which i think is very interesting mm-hmm. um but yes. texas chainsaw was the same way it was also a piece on the vietnam war and when you watch texas chainsaw as a as like me as an adult you realize the movie is violent but it's yeah. not bloody there's hardly any blood in the Not movie. Not bloody at all. Yeah, which is really interesting, too. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, when I saw it, I didn't actually watch it until a few years ago. And when I watched it, I was kind of shocked at how, like you're saying, bloodless it was. Mm-hmm. I was like... This is not as bad as I thought it was. It's like when I saw Evil Dead for the first time. Is it creepy? Yeah. But it's mostly campy. And it's enjoyable in my 
opinion. Um, the weird thing about Last House on the Left, though, is that, like, the people in it, the actors in it, for the most part, were doing a lot of drugs the entire time. And it was a very rough filming environment. And I'm not saying Wes Craven was rough, but I heard a lot of stuff behind the scenes was very rough. And um, it seems very uh, difficult, I think, for a lot of them. Um, but yeah, uh, this movie takes place during the 80s, um, when Video Nasties was a thing. Um, did you, uh, Brittany, I don't know if you know the story about part of the inspiration for this movie, but I wanted to make sure you knew this because it made me think of you. Okay. Um, because the, di- the director was inspired by a couple of things. She was watching a Hammer Horror documentary, which if you don't know Hammer Horror, one of the most famous Hammer Horror things was um christopher christopher lee christopher lee as dracula um who if you don't know who christopher lee is he is count dooku in <laughs> the terrible star wars prequels but also he was dracula in the hammer horror and he was um saruman saruman right um because sauron and saruman always confuse me in Lord of the Rings, but Saruman in Lord of the Rings. Um, he has passed on, unfortunately, but I think he's a Sir, Sir Christopher Lee. I really like him. He has a really cool voice. Um, but those are like Hammer horror films. Um, she was inspired by a documentary for that that she saw in 2012, but also she told a story on a uh, YouTube interview she had with Collider about how when she was a little girl, and she's British, there was a movie on television that told her that, oh my god, if you're younger than, like, 12 or 13, you shouldn't watch this movie. It's so super scary. And she was, like, freaking out. She did what I would have done as a child, and I feel like, Brittany, you probably did as a child, too, because we're both middle children. It was a very middle child act. <laughs> um, but she ran to her mom. She's like, oh my god, mom, I'm not allowed to watch this movie. And her mom was like, no, it's fine. Just watch it. And she was like, oh, Okay. And she watched it, and it didn't scare her. She actually really liked it. Um, and the movie was The Woman in White, oh! which is one of your Halloween yes! picks from last year. I love The and Woman in like, White. Oh my god! It's a good one. Which, when it comes on streaming, we'll do it. Yes. Yeah, maybe it'll be streaming next year for Halloween. Because we've already done Trick or Treat and um, Behind the Mask. So we've got to get some more Halloween horror yes, going on. It's a good but one. But I thought that was a cute story. I love it. Yes. I love it. Uh, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but I'm excited about it when we finally watch it. Because from what you described, I'm like, that seems interesting. It is scary. I would imagine uh, when I watched it as a child, it was also scary because there's acts of violence committed against children. Which is not something you normally see yeah. within film theaters. So it's a little taboo. Um, and that, I, I was thinking, because I had this great quote from uh, Prano, too, about censorship and how this affected her movie. So, yeah. you know, she said, in Britain, you know, these video nasties, they became a scapegoat for what was going on in society, like welfare cuts, mass unemployment, and rising crime. 
Enid's family mm-hmm. haven't really dealt with the problems in their lives, and that comes back to the idea of censorship and what we talk about openly with each other and how society also deals yeah. with the bad things that go on. So it's really funny because she's working on two different scales in this movie. It is written and directed by uh, Prano Bailey Bond, who's a Welsh director. This is her directorial debut. It premiered at Sundance Film Festival um, during the midnight section of Sundance, uh, which is really cool. She directed some shorts, uh, Man vs. Uh-huh. Sam, the trip and nasty which was the precursor to this movie um and she also mm-hmm. has an upcoming adaptation she's writing a film based on a short story with co-writer anthony fletcher uh, of the um short story things we lost in the fire um which is really interesting because it's, have you heard about it, katie i have heard of that short story yeah but I haven't read it yet. But that is very familiar to me. It's about a group of women. I, I haven't read it. I'm going to try to find it um, online to see if I can read it. But it's about mm-hmm. a group of women that that become increasingly violent towards men trying to hurt them. Is my understanding. So it seems like it's oh. a it's a women oh. bonding together to be violent against men being violent against them. I don't know. That's that's the gist of what I got. Interesting. From it. So, but yeah. So she is she is still right. doing things. So she. It's working on something new right now. Yay. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I love when people are, I see a movie and then I'm like, oh, you're still working on new stuff? Hell yes. yes. Thank you. Because, um, you know, we get into like first time film directors and then we're like, when are they going to come out with something else? Like, come on. Um, but yeah, I she seems really cool. I listened to a few interviews from her, namely her Collider interview, and there was like LPR, um, which was another um, YouTube channel, and then Evolution of Horror. So, like, I, I listened to a few interviews. She seems really cool, and I'm really excited about what um, she wants to present in the future because not only was this movie like interesting in a thematic way. Um, but it was very visually interesting. Yes. And, you know, I feel like that is such... In the, in our world where anybody can make a movie, and no offense to Blumhouse because they do have some bangers out there, but Blumhouse kind of boring <laughs> horror movies like run-of-the-mill ones, when something is visually exciting, and she uses a lot of, like, red and blues... Which, as we all know, like, if you're watching, like, 3D movies, like, those are the two colors that you see most often in film is blue and red. Um, She uses those very, um, they're very, um, what did I say? The, um, vibrant. Yeah. Very vibrantly. And um, she uses them thematically as well. And she also plays around with, like, aspect ratio, which, did you notice this, Britt, like, towards the end of the movie? Like, the aspect ratio completely changes? hmm It goes to, like, a four by three. Yeah. From, like, the traditional. Which is just interesting. Like, she has so much stuff to say visually and thematically. And so, I'm excited. It's, I feel very much like this is, like, St. Maud, even though, like I said, like, it's not the same yeah, but I feel like both of these directors, who are both female directors, have a lot of interesting things to say, and I'm very interested into what they're going to come up with in the future. It's very much like when Ari Aster and Robert Eggers came onto the scene. I was like, "Ooh, I want to see more." Yeah, I'm excited. It is very excited. exciting. Um, should we get? 
Yeah. Should we get into spoilers? We can. At this point. And I do have a uh, quick synopsis. Um, it's not my best, but it gives hey. you a little bit of a dive into the movie. So Enid, Enid works as a censor for the BBFC, uh, dutifully making sure video nasties are censored. However, when a certain video nasty hits a little too close to home, Enid sets out to finally figure out what happened to her missing sister, our girl insane's trying. I liked that one. That was a good one. Thank you. I felt wordy. Um, but yeah, so we are officially heading into the plot, which means we are officially in spoiled territory. Please jump over to the next mark if you don't want any major things spoiled to you, for you guys. So hop yes. it in. We're on, yes, indeed. We're, we're on Hulu. Yes. Censor is on Hulu, just as a quick reminder. I like this movie because it is very much set in reality, but then also fantasy. So, like, when we meet Enid, who is played by, and I, I uh, looked up on YouTube how to pronounce this name, Neve Alger. Neve is spelled N-I-A-M-H. Um, who plays Enid. She's reviewing a video nasty in, you know, Thatcher, England. Um, she's very straight-laced, and she has kind of a conversation with her co-worker, Sanderson, uh, who's played by Nicholas Burns, and, um, he's like, oh, like, you're being too sensitive. This movie, you know, it's like, there's an eye-gouging scene, and it's like, Gloucester in King Lear who has his eyes gouged out in King Lear and I think it also mentions the film um Unchien Andalou Andalou um which has a famous is it eye gouging or is it just like no slit? eye slitting he slits the an eyeball eye. open eye slitting mm-hmm. scene which is a film that was um presented by Salvador Dali aka the melting clock guy and Louis Bunio? Bunio? And um, it's very... I know the scene, but I haven't actually seen it. Brittany, I think you've actually seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. So it's the opening scene of the movie, and he holds a woman's head still, and there's a cloud that goes over a moon, and then he slits the eyeball open, but you can tell, like, the way it's shot, that he puts the razor in front of her eye, but when the eye gets slit open, it's like a dead... It looks like a dead cow's face. They slits the eyeball. It's surrealism. Um, so it's it's a bunch yeah. of weird images, like ants crawling through hands and stuff like that. So, which is interesting because I watched. So I didn't watch this until after I saw the movie. But you know, I love Red Letter Media and Mike and Jay from Red Letter Media, and they reviewed this film a few months back. And I listened to it up until the point they were saying spoilers, and I was like, "Ooh, I want to see this movie. I don't want it spoiled." But after I watched the movie and wrote my notes down, I was like, I'm going to listen to them. So they were talking about um, this movie and they were saying um, how the scene, there's a death scene later on in the movie since we're in spoilers, where the pro- the producer character falls on one of his awards mm-hmm. and is killed. Um <laughs> Mike pointed out that they very obviously put the award behind his face and didn't actually, like, make a prosthetic to fit inside of his mouth because they could – because they make movies. Like, they make their own independent movies. They were like – it was pretty obvious they took the B-horror movie approach. Yeah. And, like, he didn't actually have the award inside his mouth when they were filming the death scene. And he's like, obviously, it's purposeful. Yeah. Which I think Jay was – disagreeing with him 
But I was like, I that is a great thing to point out because I do think this director is very aware of B-horror because that that is those are the kinds of movies that were pinpointed by Video Nasties and that whole era. Because um, Cannibal Holocaust, if you've seen it, I have only watched um, bits and pieces because I don't want to give a ton of money to the person that did do Cannibal Holocaust because they did murder animals in the making of the movie. And again, they didn't tell the audience that their cast was still alive. They presented it as realism and this was pre-internet. So people thought that people had been murdered in the Amazon by cannibalistic tribes. And by the way, Green Inferno is basically like a remake of Cannibal Holocaust um just like Brittany and i have said a thousand times um that director is kind of a hack i'm sorry um he's just kind of a hack i'm sorry cabin fever kind of sucks what is his name now i'm blanking on oh eli name. roth eli roth or the bear jew sorry, the roth. bear jew and in, inglorious bastards is what i like to think of him as the bear jew i like him in in inglorious bastards mm-hmm. gotta say like him as an actor not so much as director but um, I was like, that's interesting because she films it specifically as a B-movie because that is what um, Enid experiences. Yeah. And I really like that. I think that's cool attention to detail. Um, I think, like, I'm just, I don't know. I love seeing women get behind the camera in horror films because I have said this to my parents before and they looked at me like I was crazy. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening, but I was like, you know, I feel like women understand horror because, and this is not to be overdramatic, but so much of our lives are filled with fear and blood and like, just like being a woman and TMI, you know, having your period every month, like that is a bloody show, right? Isn't that like something they used to call, Oh, periods is like the bloody show. Oh, the, the bloody oh, no, I'm sorry. yeah, it's birth, that's... birth. Like it's you have your I bloody show. Birth. You have your bloody show right before giving birth. I've learned that that's from when your water breaks. Yeah, up, so he's like, you haven't had the oh, bloody yeah, show yeah. yet. Okay, so <laughs> but I mean, like, I feel like women just interpret horror in such an interesting way, and maybe it's because I am a woman. Maybe that's why, but I do feel like they get to the root of it. Not that there's not men that don't get to the root of it, because I do think people like Ari Aster and Robert Eggers, and like even um, I'm blanking on his name, but the director of Swallow, oh like, yeah, really gets into the mindset of women and horror. Like they really do their due diligence I- and research. Um, but I do feel like women bring a different viewpoint, and see, and I like it. I think the reason that it's interesting when women take on horror is because we have to be so detail oriented because of being being fearful so for example if you're walking in a parking garage you're gonna know six different exes how to get out of that parking garage because your mind always has to be two steps ahead and how to protect yourself so yeah and that's why I feel Isn't that like terrifying. It is, but it's just common for us. That's how life it's is terrifying. when you're a woman. And so I think there is a sense of details. And when a woman, when a woman directs a horror movie or writes yeah. a horror movie, there's always this this 
eye for details that you don't always see in every horror movie because yeah. they're noticing every little thing. Um, which I think is interesting. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. So she has this conversation with um Sanderson, and then they have her and a female coworker and review uh Cannibal Carnage, which is a movie mm-hmm. they both reject. And um <laughs> and so it's really which funny. Obviously they, Yeah. Is Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Like it's a reference. And they and they but they put the women together. So they have this meeting and the the women are like, Yeah, this movie needs to be rejected. And then they still have them reviewed only for them to be like, Yeah, we agree, we reject it. But what happens after the scene yeah. is very interesting because I didn't catch it really the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it. Anne leaves for her sister's birthday, but Enid is very dedicated, and she stays until the lights shut off, and as she's leaving, she yep. sees a red-headed woman, and she stops her, thinking she's someone else, which mm-hmm. is my first yellow highlight Yeah, in my notebook that I was like, oh, okay, yeah. so... I know my mom, because I watched this with my mom the first time, um, and my dad came towards the end, um, she was like... Where the fuck is that lady? Why is it so like isolated? And I was like, I think she's in London. And again, I haven't lived in London, so I don't really know London. But if it's like any big city, there's going to be isolated parts of the city where you don't feel super safe, right? Um, she's like in a tunnel, and when she sees the woman that looks like someone she thinks is her sister, Nina, um, and she's not. She's a much older woman. She's like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. I thought you were someone else. Um, but I just remember being like, oh, like, that's so super awkward and also terrifying. Yeah. But, like, they they show from early on that Enid isn't completely in touch with reality, but she's also not completely out of touch at the beginning. But she slowly, like, turns into just being completely separated from reality, which I always find interesting. Yeah. Um, and I do think this movie does a good deal does a good job of illustrating that and really showing how out of touch with reality she is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. And Enid's parents, she uh, gets home and her her mom calls her and is like, hey, dad, we're served dinner mm-hmm. at this restaurant. And so her parents at the restaurant, they give the give, uh, death certificate they got for her little sister. And basically, we yeah. learned very fast that Nina's sister disappeared when they were children. And they never found the body. But her parents, at this point, they need closure. So they're like, we're declaring her dead. But mm-hmm. obviously, Enid thinks that she's missing still. Um, so she does not yeah. believe she's dead. And it's like, she can't remember what happened. And she was the last person to see Nina alive. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents, by the way, are played by... Claire Holman and Andrew Havel. Um, and they seem like very genuinely nice people that just want to move on with their lives. And that is so hard when you don't have a body. Um, I think we all are big true crime people. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of pop culture right now. Um, but I know there's a lot of cases. The one that springs to my mind is the Alyssa Turney case where Alyssa disappeared. And it's pretty obvious to her sister, Sarah, who has a podcast called Voices for Justice about this. And most people that her stepdad most likely was responsible for her disappearance and maybe murdered her and maybe also um, abused her as a child. Um, 
but they they've never found her body and as a trial is ongoing i don't know any details about that i won't know until it's done um but um that's been one that's been really hard because like it is hard to get closure when you don't have a body so i can understand how enid is so like no she has to be out there she has to be living and i think that's an important part of like culture is I know for me, the only funeral I went to that didn't have a body was one of my best friends when I was 14 died of cancer and they did not have a body at her funeral. It was like a quote unquote celebration of life. Um, And I get it because she was 13 when she died and it would be really sad to see a child in a coffin. But at the same time, like for a couple of years, even though I knew it wasn't true, like I wanted to believe that she wasn't dead because I hadn't seen her in the coffin. Yeah. And that is something like as disturbing as it is to see a dead body in a coffin. I understand why people do it because when you don't see someone in the coffin, it, I, I feel like when you don't have that solid evidence that that person has passed away, that it is really hard to fully mourn them because your psyche wants to believe that they are still with you yeah um which is super depressing but still i get where enid's coming from yeah exactly it's that idea that uh prano got about ambiguous loss which is you can't really find closure when you don't really know what happened and um enid does go back to work and sanderson comes in says fraser who's their boss wants to see them and i'm so sorry fraser is played by vincent franklin and Fraser is like, hey, did you pass this movie? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, well, there was a scene where a man eats someone's face and a man in real life killed his wife, ate her face, and then killed his two kids. Mm-hmm. And there's a journalist that claimed they know it was Enos and Sanderson who passed the video. And this is the first time in the movie we see Enos has a seeming, seemingly memory of her sister. So it's like this this kind of violent reaction where it's like a little bit of her world is falling apart. She remembers her sister in the woods, um, which is really interesting. Yes. Um, and so she starts getting random phone calls of people who got in her number and they're like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And newspaper article that claims the censors are to blame for the killings. So there's all these kind of factors mm-hmm. that are breaking Ina down, essentially. Yes, exactly. Um, and the killer, the killer in question that um, is in the news is called the Amnesiac Killer because he says he doesn't remember anything, um, which is super interesting because the next series of events, we see Enid have kind of a run-in with this sleazy producer named Doug Smart, who's played by Michael Smiley. Um, and he's brought a film by this director named Frederick North, who's played by Adrian Schiller. Um, and it's called Don't Go in the Church, which I'm pretty sure is based on a couple different movies, mostly Don't Go in the Woods, which is an American exploitation movie. Um, also, the movie called Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which apparently was a big thing that the director showed Neve. Um... But so she's, uh, Enid is assigned to watch it after this sleazy producer kind of, like, hits on her. And she's like, uh, okay, what the fuck? Because, you know, people are creepy. Um, but she watches this movie with her coworker, whose name is Perkins, who's played by Danny Lee Winter. Oh, Alf. Um. What? Alf. 
She watches with her co-worker, Alf. I'm sorry. Perkins. I think she watches Don't Go in the Church with Alf because he's the one that his, he comforts her afterwards with his mom dying. Um, Danny Lee Winter plays Perkins. I don't see anyone named Alf in the lineup. She does watch the Frederick North film called Don't Go in the Church. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Which is based off of uh, Don't Go in the Woods, basically. All of these movies within a movie are based on different exploitation movies, B-movies. Although they do show some real movies in the beginning, including Driller Killer, which apparently is in the public domain, so anybody can use that. Which I find interesting. Um, But yeah, they watch Don't Go in the Woods, and it's a weird movie, because there's like two little girls, and one of them is like, oh, hey, let's go in this weird cabin in the woods. Which, have you guys, have has anyone seen, um, Fire Walk With Me, Twin Peaks, the mo- the movie version of Twin Peaks. Mm-mm. So, um, it's kind of alluded to in the series Twin Peaks. But there's a rail car and a cabin where the murder of, <laughs> spoilers, um, Laura Palmer takes place in the film. And the setting of this cabin was so similar to the rail car setting. And I was getting Twin Peaks vibes. Also, there's a whole thing with Bob being an alternate personality to, and I'm not going to spoil this, but Laura Palmer's actual killer. Um, Basically, the killer of Laura Palmer is possessed by this evil spirit named Bob. I know, it's David Lynch, it's weird. But the killer in this movie is both one of the sisters in the film, but also the quote-unquote beast man, whose real name is Charles, um, who is played by... um, It's a French name, so I'm going to try to pronounce it. Guillaume Delaunay? Delaunay, I think. Um, Gillum, maybe? Um, Maybe that's the American way to say it. Um, But... um, it very much reminded me of Fire Walk With Me, which goes further into Laura Palmer's, like, murder and what led her to being murdered. Um, so if you've watched Twin Peaks, the first two seasons, watch Fire Walk With Me, which is a very weird movie, but it's interesting. And then watch the third season of Twin Peaks. That's how you're supposed to watch it. Because that's how they came out. Um, Anyways, to Enid... This film is eerily similar to her last moments with her sister. It's almost mirroring the last moments she had with her little sister, Nina, where, like, they were in the woods and there was a man walking around and she disappeared. But also, Enid's like, well, this this girl in the movie killed her sister with an axe. Did I do that to my sister? So she kind of brings it up to Perkins in a weird way after she gets sick in the bathroom because it disturbs her so much. And she's like the undisturbable censor. Because um, everyone's like, oh, Little Miss Perfect, Enid. Um, and she asks Perkins, who apparently used to work in psychology in some form. And he's like, you know, she's like, how could someone forget doing something terrible? And he's like, you know, sometimes the mind blocks out what they don't want to see. And 
Also, you know, something else I'm very excited about is like um, dissociative identity disorder. I I find it fascinating um, that your mind can comp- compartmentalize amnesia, amnesia, amnesiac, amnesia. It can create an amnesia barrier to compartmentalize parts of your brain so you have different personalities because of trauma you've experienced as a child so to me i'm like oh yeah does enid have dissociative identity disorder which also was known as multiple personality disorder beforehand but now it's dissociative because it's a dissociative state which we increasingly see enid fall into because she starts having like visions and she's disassociating and i think the first point where we see her disassociate is when she's talking to Perkins, he mentions like, hey, when my mom died, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have someone to talk to. So if you need someone to talk to, we could always like, you know, go get some dinner or something, get a drink and talk about this. And instead of like being like, I'm so sorry, I can't. And like being in reality, she just completely ignores that he asked her out. And it's just like, I'm so sorry, your mom died. Um, Bye. Basically, and you're like, okay, she's already separating herself from reality, um, which is interesting. Um, and well, which I think it's interesting when she gets home, the first thing she tries to do is call her mom, but then she mm-hmm. can't bring herself to explain to her mom what she saw. But that night, she has a dream, and her memories merge with the movie. But then she also has a she sees her mom yelling at her, "It's all your fault." Which is so the only jump I, scare in the movie. I had, yeah, I had that. I had that old, that note right here too. If you can see it, it says only jump scare in the movie. So um, it, it scared yeah, me the so second I, time I the more than thing. the first time. I was watching it, and like yeah. I jumped so far, Gizmo stopped playing with his toy and like looked at me and was like, "Are you okay, mom?" And I was like, "I'm okay, I'm okay." That was just really yes. disturbing. But yeah. Did you catch this the second time in the movie? So she goes to Fowry, who works in the department that has all the files, and she asks for more info on Frederick North. But Fowry's like, hey, we need a list of its films. It's hard. So she goes to this video store, and she first picks up a movie called The Day the World Begins. And it, yes. on the cover, there's a smiling family outside. There's rainbows. And she hosts this, like, very, like, it looks like a very sweet family movie. But then she talks to the video clerk, and she asks for more of Norse unusual Mm -hmm. films. And she's like, hey, I know you have a band copy. Just give me the shit. And so he does. He relents and gives her a film called Asunder. And she goes home and watches it. Which is a movie um, they filmed for this movie. It's one of the movies within a movie. It's the director's personal favorite. Um, Which is eerily similar to the evil dead scene where they read the book um which i thought was pretty funny um but yeah she watches this movie and there's this woman in the movie called alice lee and she looks eerily similar to her sister nina so she's like oh my god i know where nina is she was kidnapped to be an exploitation actress and Mr. North kidnapped her, I'm sure. So I need to save her. So she goes to her parents and she's like, hey, look, it's Nina. And they're like, Enid, you've done this a million times. That is not her. She's passed away. You know, get over it. And at first they're trying to be like, we don't blame you. And then her dad kind of starts to blame her by being like, 
Yeah. You know, you disassociate just like you did when you went into the woods with her. Like, what the hell were you doing in there with her? And her mom's yeah. like, uh, George, please don't do this because that's not helping the situation. Um, and so she's like, okay, so since my parents won't help me, I guess I'm just going to do this on my own. So she basically, um, which by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Perkins and her had a little conversation about blocking out memories. I didn't mention that, but like, you know, so she's like, maybe I'm misremembering what happened when we were kids. So I need to find Alice Lee, which by the way, Alice Lee is played by Sophia Laporta. Um, and I need to find her and save her from these movies. So she like finds that sleazy producer smarts home address and she finds frederick north's home address and she goes to smarts house and she just wants information right well smart because he was hitting on her before is like oh i'm sure she's here for a quote-unquote nightcap some little sexy time and uh he lets her know that they're actually filming a sequel to don't go into in the church and that it's going to be filmed by North's house. And since she has his address, yeah. she's like, oh, okay, I know where to go now. But then he, like, starts hitting on her. And she, you know, resists him because she's not interested in that. And he gets really aggressive because he's mad at her for being a quote-unquote prick tease. And she pushes him away from her. And she doesn't really on purpose, but accidentally pushes him onto his coffee table. And he, like we mentioned earlier, gets impaled through his mouth um, by one of his awards and she kind of disassociates and is like okay this was a nice drink i'll see you later yeah Bye. she she goes i'll see myself out mm -hmm. and there's two so katie and ryan know that um i went through this movie and highlighted things that were mm -hmm. like okay this is enid being crazy and then i highlighted things that's like this is the world and then i highlighted mm -hmm. things that coincided and one of the things that i thought coincided was she there's a picture of alice lee on Doug's desk and she's like do we look similar and he's like yeah you kind of do which plays into her idea that right. it is her sister like he tells her they look similar also and then, he's like so, Oh, he tells her it's her last film. Yes, and she's like, "Oh, that's she's, top secret. What'll happen to her?" And it's like she's probably just getting he, too old for them. But instead, he makes it all creepy. Yes, yeah. He says she's at the end of her shelf life, which is why you can understand Enid goes into a frenzy because she's like, "What do you mean she's at the end of her shelf life?" So, which I can I don't see. know. Like, I can't really blame Enid in this scene. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't kill him on purpose. I don't think she's purposely. She just no. is like, I don't want this and she pushes him away yeah and like haven't we all done that but most of the time doesn't end in a impalement well the next scene is what really kind of got me so she gets another one of the calls again from a crazy person who's found her numbers blaming her for the murders that have happened but then listening to the call it seems to be doug as the caller because he's like you come around my house and the evil's contagious yeah which is the evil's together. contagious is something she's yeah, it blends together. So I was like, oh, fuck, Enid's really snapping at this point. So, like, she's blurring the lines. This starts to move into a 4 by 3 which is, like, basically the aspect ratio that you would watch a VHS film if you were a censor. Um, because her mental state is 
growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and smaller and smaller and smaller. It's not good. Um, but she drives out to North's house, which is in the middle of the woods. And this was like, you know, it's very Evil Dead-like because there's just a cabin in the woods. And the makeup artist on set just assumes, she's like, oh, you must be the actress. And she's like, you don't look anything like your picture. Um, let me do, I'll be doing your makeup. And so she does her makeup. And, um, she, like, descends into the woods, which, remember how, like, in Behind the Mask, they were like, oh, when the final girl goes through, like, the field, it's, like, symbolic of her, like, traveling through the birth canal kind of thing. It was almost like this. Obviously not as symbolic, but, like, because the aspect ratio is getting narrower and narrower, it is, like, her mental state is deteriorating the further she goes into the woods until she gets to frederick north and he's like there's something rotten inside of you with your sister and you have to like channel that for the movie and of course like he's talking in acting terms but to her she's like okay so yeah also i will say the colors get very red and blue which we've been seeing highlights of throughout the whole movie, but like it's getting extremely vibrant in this part of the film. And basically Alice Lee is on set and she's being attacked by the actor playing the quote unquote beast man, whose name is Charles. And they give Enid an ax and she uses it against Charles. And he's like, this isn't in the script. And she literally kills him. And then when Frederick North and his assistant, come in they're like what the hell is going on and they see charles has been killed and alice lee is like absolutely terrified um they're like oh my god what the fuck did you do and then enid just like kills frederick north because she thinks she's protecting her sister because she's convinced alice north north is her sister and she basically like chases alice deeper and deeper into the woods and kind of confronts her she's like you're my sister and Alice is like, uh, I have a sister and she's not you. Please leave me alone. And instead of like being like, oh shit, I'm sorry. Enid is like, no, you have to be her. You absolutely have to be her. And there's this weird moment, which is this is when it got really like St. Maud because she has this moment of like otherworldly intervention where she all of a sudden sees the control device, like the remote control yeah. from her editing um, in her hand. And she presses a button and she looks up and Alice Lee has now transformed into Nina. And she's like, oh my God, thank you, sister. You have saved me. Let's go find our parents. And then it's like the weirdest ending sequence <laughs> because she's driving back to her parents' house and like on the radio, they're like, crime has ended. The video nasties are gone everything is right and you're like oh obviously this isn't reality but i guess this is enid's reality which is really cool because you see it you see mm -hmm. like you see like enid and the sun is shining there's rainbows in the sky and nina's sleeping she's peacefully resting her face yeah. and you just see a a very quick glimpse of her screaming 
And so she drives up yeah. to their home. And it's literally the video cover from, like, the movie, like, When the World Began. And her parents come outside, and there's a rainbow over their house, and they're waving. And Nina runs into her mom and dad's open arms, and she's like, I brought her back. And then you see reality, me, which is Alice Lee, like, yeah. screaming at them, like, and she's Nina's been kidnapped. And just smiling. Yeah. And you're just like, it's Nina's great. just smiling. And terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it this is reminded so me of Saint Maud, like it's the so ending creepy, where she, so you know, uh, immolates herself, but it's like she's so happy, but everyone else can see her like burning to death. Um, such an atmospheric movie. Um, yeah, I love it. Um, and we follow this character from Descent to Madness. It's so interesting. Um, but it is like visually stunning too, which is why I like it. Um, the director also gave, which I love this, um, she gave Neve a few movies that we've already mentioned, like Let's Scare Jessica to Death and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Campbell Holocaust, but she also had her watch Black Swan and The Piano Teacher, which, if you've seen any of those, you're like, oh, totally get this. Um, Piano Teacher. <laughs> oh, nice. We will do The Piano Teacher when it's not just on Criterion yeah. eventually, because it is... An absolute bonkers film. Um, which is so weird that Funny Games is on HBO Max, but The Piano Teacher isn't. I just gotta say. Maybe it's just too disturbing. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot of homages to films. I love that. I love the attention to detail. I love the aspect ratio thing. Which I'm so glad that I watched that review from red letter media because obviously because they edit movies like jay edits movies all the time i'm like oh of course you'd pick up on that where as i don't think i picked up on it the first time and the second time i was like oh that's interesting also they do it very slowly so you don't really notice it until like it's there and you're like oh when did that happen um and the colors of the movie are just absolutely great because like when she's in like the sensor office it's really dull and gray and awful but, like, when she's, like, fantasizing, there's these, like, sharp blues and reds. Um, and, like I said, lots of, like, Fire Walk With Me, David Lynch homages, um, Evil Dead. And I love how they kind of sub subtly hint at Enid's mental state, like, and her health issues, like, deteriorating. But, like, they're not super obvious with it in the beginning you know they're kind of just like maybe she's just having a hard time letting go of her sister or maybe it's worse you know everyone handles grief differently and uh Ina doesn't handle it very healthily uh what was your favorite part of the movie Britt <laughs> yeah or pros. Oh, that's hard. I don't know about a favorite part of the movie. Um, I had I I had a lot of pros uh, for this movie. So it has a really cool synth soundtrack, like eighty synth, but it's eerie sounding. It sounds like they change up a few of the instruments. There's like a synth, mm. but there's also like some kind of weird, like almost plucking sound to it. Um, 
it's a very clever script. There's this, this script makes you see Enid slowly losing her grasp on reality. Yeah. But also you maybe Definitely. understandably, you understand why she's losing her grasp. Um, there's great visual cues where her hair and makeup. So her hair and makeup are very like tight in the beginning and her hair slowly becomes unraveled um, throughout the movie. So there's all these really cool things. It's very visually appealing. Yeah. The only bad thing is like, I do think it takes a little bit long to get, going like the first time i watched it i was a little bit like bored in the beginning just because it's very quiet um but once it gets going it's great it's like the last harry potter book it's really boring when they're camping but once they get past the gringotts scene it's like it never stops um sorry that might be a weird analogy if you haven't read the last harry potter book I know you know. <laughs> no, I understand. And see, my yes, and and my cons yeah. were I don't have as many cons as any pros, but for me, it wasn't very scary. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just more yeah. like I wouldn't say it's hard in the traditional sense. Maybe um, most of the characters seem kind of one dimensional. <laughs> I didn't really cool. like any of the characters. Like I think I think you know. Um, it, yeah, but, um, Perkins, Alf, Perkins, Alf, Alf Perkins was very, very nice, uh, very lovely person. Um, it's a good movie, but it didn't have a wow factor that made it stand out above the crowd to me, if that makes sense. Like, it's really good. I will say, of all of, like, the new movies we watch, like, new directors we watch the last, like, couple of years, I would say this is probably the least dramatically amazing mm-hmm. one. Although it is good. Um, I would say St. Maud was so much more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's good. And it's A24, so it's got a really good production. But I like it, and I like how visually stunning it is. I just wish it, wish it was... I just wish it was more interesting in the beginning to hook you. Because I kind of was like, oh, video nasties. And then it got kind of boring. And it wasn't until like 20 minutes into the movies that I was like, oh, okay. I think it tried to hook you with that whole like opening scene where it's like you can hear like the the media like talking about the video nasties. And then it was having like scenes from some of the video nasties. Yeah. I think that's was it's like, oh, we're going to try to amp up the excitement a little bit in the beginning. It's what that opening homage seemed to me. Also, okay, this isn't really a con, but like, was it just me or was the child who played Nina as a child? Did it look like she had a very obvious wig on? The whole time, like her red hair wasn't very naturally red. It was Ooh, I wasn't very much a, like a boxed kind of red hair color. Because I don't know about you, but the only people with red hair I've ever known are not that like crimson red. They're like almost orangey red, like of natural redheads. And I was kind of like, I get it for the adult Alice Lee because she's an adult. Mm. But why would like a eight year old child have? like crimson aerial hair (laughs) which isn't the worst like maybe they couldn't find a redheaded actress to play her as a child and they were just like oh this girl's really good and we'll just throw a wig on her it wasn't the worst wig but it was a little bit like cosplaying as a redheaded character um but that's not again it's like her first movie like i'm sure their budget wasn't huge yeah so I will let it slide, but I, it took me a little bit out. I was like, "That is not that child's real hair, or at least not her real hair color." Um, 
But yeah, um, did you rate this movie out of 10? What did you rate this movie out of 10? I had to, it was good. Um, I, I don't, I was kind of weary on my rating, but I ended up getting like a 7.5. <gasps> Me I too. I didn't feel like it quite veered. Okay, really? Okay, awesome. Because I was like, it almost could veer to 8 territory, Maybe. but it was just missing an it factor that I, that I couldn't, I couldn't put my yeah. finger on. I like the script. I felt like the script was really strong. Yeah. So. I know. The script is great. I think the thematic elements are great and the visual elements are great. But yeah, it just wasn't like, it didn't like shock me. Like, you know, we saw Teton in Lamb and both of those, mm-hmm. like, I left the movies like wanting to talk about it more. And this one I was kind of like, that was interesting, but it wasn't like, it didn't inspire me. Um like it was good i would say like it's definitely worth a watch like i think it's good i think we should look out for this director in the future i think there's only uphill to go you know it was a and it wasn't it didn't play it super safe but it maybe played it a little safer than it could have like i feel like there could have been a little more violence in it um but i like it i think it's a good movie i think maybe i'd get more out of it if i was british because I didn't, and maybe lived through the video nasties era, because I didn't live through that era. I only know what history teaches us. So, you know. And honestly, in America, it wasn't so much video nasties as it was the satanic panic kind of rolled that into it. But yeah, censorship in the United States wasn't so much banning movies as just rating them extreme ratings that kids couldn't access like nc-17 and ours i don't think there's been an nc-17 in years um i rated it read v for victimized by video nasties oh and i have rated r for repressed memories uh rising crime and rotten cores oh i like yours let's do yours you like mine i like yours okay okay Plus, it's like a rated R, which is a real rating in real life. Incidentally, this movie was rated NC-15 and not NC-18, which I thought was fun. Yeah, I didn't know, like, they had, like, age ratings in England. But they had, like, 13s, 15s, Mm -hmm. 17s. And I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, I thought it was, like, on a scale from 1 to 10. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's age. Okay. Which makes more sense. But for some reason, I was like, they were just saying, do you give it an 18 or a a 13? And I was like, what? Um. Yeah, I I would recommend this movie though, right? Yeah, I would. I would. I couldn't recommend it to just anybody though. Like, it's not like a movie. Like, yeah. I could recommend it to a lot of people, but not every person I know. I feel like if you kind of like that historical context, or if you just like kind of artsy movies where like the visuals are more of the focus, I think it's a great movie. But I, I yeah, I mean, I think some people would probably either be bored by it or be disgusted by it. Which it's not overly disgusting, yeah. but it does show a lot of quote unquote video nasties. Which I mean, if you're a film person, you probably know a lot of it is fake. But if you're not, you may not be aware, and it may freak you out a little bit. Which I understand. Um, there's some movies that freak me out, and some that don't. Um, so, are we ready for next week's movie? I am ready for next week's movie. Are you ready for next week's movie? I am. I Okay, so usually I'm like, I don't know what to choose. And I did have several options of new movies that are in. And there was one that I wanted to pick because it's an A24 movie. But, you know, I realized we're a couple weeks ahead of schedule. 
filming versus releasing. And so I was like, oh my God, we're already in February by the time next week's episode releases. And February is, as we all know, Black History Month. And, you know, I was like, let's do something to highlight Black creators in the film industry. And there is a movie that I have heard so many things about. Everyone's always talking about this movie. Comes up on so many lists. And I've never actually seen it. But it is currently available on Amazon Prime. And is a 1997 film called Eve's Bayou. And it seems like it's a little more of a thriller. But there is a poltergeist um, aspect to this movie. And it has a 7.3 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, on IMDb. And has a pretty high um, meta score, too. And I've it's always on the list of black horror films that people should watch. So, um, also, it's got a couple Grindhouse Girls uh, correlations. Um, because the director is Cassie Lemons. And if you don't know who that is... Um, she is an actress and director, but she was most famously for us, the, um, Bernadette, the friend of the main character in Candyman, her co-writer. And she was also, um, in Silence of the Lambs as Jodie Foster's friend. So, um, she's actually done a lot of different movies. Um, as a director, but she's also pretty um, famous for being an actress. So I was like, this is a cool movie. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime. And um, it's basically, oh, also Journey Smollett, who was most recently in Lovecraft Country. She's also in this movie when she was a child. Nice. So it's um, about like a family in the bayou, obviously. Um, and basically they're like haunted by the poltergeist of their past sins of their family. And Samuel Jackson is also in this movie, which we all love Samuel Jackson. I don't know anyone who doesn't like Sam Jackson. Jackson. Um, so yeah, uh, I have not seen this movie yet and I think it's probably more of a thriller than it is a horror film, but we've done so many movies that are on like horror movies you should watch on for black history month that i was like this is one i think we should do and i like that it's a female director and the main character's a woman too so i'm excited because it's it's been recommended to me many times and i've never watched it um but yeah uh that's what we're gonna be watching next week and it is streaming on amazon prime but yeah that's what we're gonna watch next week um for our like for black history month i think there'll be a good one and also since we love female directors here um we love male directors too but it is grindhouse girls obviously um it's nice to lift up some female directors and creators and also this is a woman that you have seen in other films especially Candyman, that we've covered before so i think it's interesting that she also went on i had no idea this woman went on to direct movies too so I think it's a shame that I didn't know that. Yeah. So um, I'm excited. I hope. I mean, again, and Sam Jackson's in it. There's, I mean. <laughs> yes. We even love when him. he's in terrible movies, I still enjoy his performances. But yeah, that's the movie we're going to do next week, Eve's Bayou. So be sure to watch it 
before next week's episode. And also, if you haven't already watched Censor, please watch it. It is on Hulu, and Eve's Bayou is on Amazon Prime. With that, I guess we're going to say goodnight, um, as it is getting late, or good day, whatever time of day you're listening to this. Um, Make sure you take your vitamins, you wash your hands, and get your vaccinations if you're eligible. Um, Be careful out there. COVID, unfortunately, is getting worse. So, um, be cautious, be careful, um, you know, don't stop living, but be careful guys, um, and care about each other and, um, you know, be good to one another. We care about you guys. We are so thankful for you guys listening and liking and subscribing and sharing the podcast with everybody. Um, you guys are so amazing and we love you so much. Um, and we just hope you guys are doing well. And we can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Yes. Thanks for all the fish. No, that's the wrong thing. Um, uh, Thanks for all the likes, the comments, the subscriptions. Um, We appreciate each and every one of you. This is your deli reminder. Please drink some water, you beautiful, (laughs) dehydrated bitch. You need it. Um, I hope you guys are doing something nice for yourself. As we've discussed many times before, the winter months are hard. Uh, We don't get as much sunlight. It's really cold. It's a lot harder to get out of bed when you're cold, or at least it is for me. But um, I hope you guys do something nice, like listen to your favorite song, um, take a walk around the block, watch a movie, um, all those good things. Um, And just take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Our DMs are always open if you need to discuss something or if you would like to recommend a movie. We love hearing from you guys. Um, And yeah, as always, we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy time, same Yes, stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Good night, Night, everybody. everybody. Good day, good night. Night, Katie. Night, Ryder. Alvita, say goodbye. So long, farewell. Alvita, say goodbye. Yes. (laughs) Bye, everybody. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Gray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials, and if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.